Good morning, everyone. So we're going to finish our series this morning on uh, the revelation because you asked. And so uh, your questions are what prompted me to even do this series. And, and your questions have been driving it. In fact, you can even still have questions today. So I have this screen up here. And if during the message you have a question or a, a request for to clarify something or a challenge, challenge to something you've heard up here, um, you can text it up here. Here's how you do that. If you, whether you're at home on the live stream or in the sanctuary right now, you can take out your phone and type in mdirector057. And if you text that to 22333, that opens up a session. And then anytime after that, that you text something to 22333, has a chance of, uh, of appearing up here. Um, now, we're just scratching the surface, even in three messages. You're just scratching the surface of the Revelation. So I wanted to let you know, Taylor Qualls and I are going to have a class on the Revelation, more in-depth, smaller setting, even more detail. And so we're going to do that as soon as they give us the all clear to meet in person. But uh, if you would like to email Taylor Qualls, if you know him, or email me, if you know me, and, uh, or, or even if you don't, and uh, whoever's email you can get is what I'm trying to say. And we'll put you on a list and make sure to communicate with you directly as well as in announcements and on our website of when that class begins, if you'd like to go deeper into the Revelation. So today our question is, um, what does the Revelation say to us, like particularly to Lakeland Community Church today? So to do that, first I want to let you know what Revelation is. Revelation is a letter that was written to encourage persecuted churches. That was the purpose of Revelation, a letter to encourage persecuted churches. So whatever Revelation has to say to Lakeland, it has to say it through that lens. And so there we go. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is what we're in today. We don't have time to read the whole thing, but if you wanted to do something as a devotional or a Bible study today, I encourage you, especially after the message, I think it'll make a lot more sense, uh, to read Revelation 2 and 3. So Revelation 2 and 3 actually mentions the seven churches that this letter was shared with. They are not symbols. They're actually real churches that were in a real place. Um, this, uh, we have a map. And so this is the peninsula that the modern day country of Turkey is on. When we were in school, they called this Asia Minor. And you can see there are seven cities. Now Patmos out there in the ocean, that's the island that John was imprisoned on and writing. So somehow this letter, he got it over to the mainland, and then it probably went to one of these churches who made a copy, passed it to the next one, who made a copy and passed it to the next one until they could all have it. So these are the seven churches probably that uh, John was the overseer of, and, and he's writing to them. These are all persecuted churches. Now you've all heard stories of Christians thrown to the lions and heads chopped off and frozen on lakes and sawn in half. And that did all happen. But it all happened after, most of that kind of stuff happened after uh, biblical times, especially the third century. So I want to describe to you the type of persecution that was happening to these churches. The first thing is forced worship of Roman gods. Um, that was a law in the Roman Empire. You could have your own gods, but you also had to worship their gods. Unless you were Jewish. Somehow, a hundred years earlier, the Jews had gotten an exemption, either from the emperor or the senate. Forgive me, I forget which one. But they had gotten an exemption. Jews don't have to keep this rule. And so, uh, because Christians at that time were thought of and thought of themselves as just another type of Jew, they didn't have to worship the Roman gods either. See, there was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and up in the mountains lived the Essenes, and then the Nazarenes, the ones who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. 
However, by the time of Revelation, Jews were starting to say, no, no. These folks who think that the Messiah has come and that he was Jesus, they're actually not a different type of Jew. And they're starting to kick them out of the synagogue. Well, if they're kicked out of the synagogue, then they also come out from under the exemption. And maybe they should be required to worship imperial gods. And at this time, it was just starting to worship the emperor himself. Well, a lot of this happened at guild meetings. People were part of guilds back then, right? Plumbers guild, carpenters guild, smiths guild. The guild meeting was often held in the temple in the middle of town, the pagan temple, because it's a big open space and everyone knows where it is. And they would start the meeting with a sacrifice to the appropriate God. And the Christian guild members won't do that because Christians don't make sacrifices to gods and certainly not to a man, the emperor. Well, then if you won't do that, then you're kicked out of the guild. Now you can't be a plumber anymore. Now you can't be a smith anymore. Now you can't feed your family anymore. Now you can't buy or sell. This was the mark of the beast in their time, refusal to worship and bow to images of the emperor. This is the persecution that they're suffering. And Revelation chapter 2 and 3 start out giving a message to each of these seven churches. And it starts by praising five of them. It praises five of them, uh, one for enduring suffering, one for uh, suffering poverty and imprisonment, one of them because someone in that church, a single person, had been martyred. Someone had died for their faith in that church. Um, One for their love, faithfulness, and patience. And then one for, even though they have very little strength, they have still been clinging to Christ. Two of them don't get praised. Uh Uh-oh. So do I see Lakeland in this message? Truthfully, I don't right now. Lakeland is not a persecuted church. But I do see churches like we support and partner with in this, absolutely. I absolutely see the church in China in, in, in this passage of the Revelation. Well, Not so long ago, we had a pastor from the Chinese persecuted church come to Lakeland and share with us an update on how much ministry in China has changed just in the last couple of years and not changed in a good way. And so I wanted to show you a video. We've had to do some stuff to protect the identity of that pastor since the persecution is much, much hotter than it was even three years ago. So let's watch this together. How's the ministry going? Yeah, in the, in the past, like, uh, I mean, I, I remember last time I was here, you know, I talked about China as kind of like in a golden age for the ministry, but uh, it went well for, for years, but since last, since like last two years, everything has changed. And, uh, you know, like, uh, the church speed shut down, uh, the house church, and also a lot of train centers closed, even, including my train center, even it's very small, but my, uh, National Security Bureau's conference me several times to ask me to close it down. But we just moved like, you know, from one apartment to another apartment. My church, uh, two years ago, uh, closed. Not only closed, but also, you know, on that day, I still remember, there's just like a bunch of robbers, like 200 people just came to the church and took everything away, uh, chairs, Bibles, you know, computers, pianos, and uh, even our cooking utensils. So now we separate to six uh, small groups. But, 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 but the truth, you know, Jesus said, like, if they persecute you in this city, flee to another. So, so, so right now, 
They prosecute us in this building. We flee to the next door building. We flee to the next next people's house. This is not only happening you know, in the church, but also happening in the school, which is the university, college, you know, this school. And uh, our, my government is trying right now is very controlled on people's mind, especially on the on the students. I mean, uh, in, the, in the campus, you know, you will see the banners. The banners will tell the students, do not go to any Christian activities. Uh, do not join their meetings. You know, one of the one of the girls actually from my uh, from my church, you know, he called me several times. He says, you know, I got a diploma. Like, what is your diploma? It's like, you know, my school asked me to sign a paper. The paper is kind of like a denial of my faith. It's like, you know, I have to deny my faith. Uh, on this paper, I said, like, uh, how do you need to respond to this? She said, like, she said, I don't know. It's just like, okay, what did, what did they tell you? She said, like, okay, the school tell me to sign it voluntarily. I said, okay, just tell the school I voluntarily not sign it. So, so from, from that on, you know, the school uh, won't bother her anymore. So that, that was kind of pretty good. Persecuted, that's the fact. And the truth is, like, we're not abandoned. We have brothers and sisters in this country. You know, we have brothers and sisters you know, from this church you know, to help us and to pray for us, to concern, you know, to concern about us. So it also says that like, struck down, but not destroyed. So that's uh, uh, that's you know, that, that, why is that? Because we, we have the hope of the Lord, you know, which is in Christ in me and in the Chinese brothers and sisters. Yeah, just one thing very quickly. Uh, before I came, you know. My wife uh, just mentioned a very, very like interesting things. It's very touchful, you know. Like my wife says, like says, uh, you did you notice like every time you talk about like the like, church, you are so happy, you're so thrilled, you're so you're so passionate about it. I I didn't notice that. that. Uh, I said like okay, I, I think uh, my attitudes towards everyone's the same, but my wife says no. Your attitudes towards to this church and to every, every time you mention about you know the people from that church, it's different. It's just why it's different. And my wife says like why it's different because you feel loved, you know, in that church. That's why every time you talk about them, you're so like you know, you're so passionate, you're so thrilled. Thanks, Pastor, for the update. That, that is who Revelation is written to. There's another church. If you go to Lebanon, so you go west of Iraq and south of Syria, there on the Mediterranean is the country of Lebanon, and on the coast is the city of Tyre. Yes, the Tyre from your Bible. And, uh, and there is a church, um, a church, uh, Christian church with just 30 members. And our story is starting to intertwine with their story uh, through Jamie Davis and the Global Orphan Project. Jamie Davis is a staff member here, our financial administrator. Um, She also works for the Global Orphan Project. We don't know how Jamie can have so many jobs. Um, Maybe she doesn't ever sleep. You do sleep sometimes, right? Okay, she figures it out. So, but she has recently been to Tyre, and I, I wanted her to share what's happening and how our stories are starting to come together. So let's welcome Jamie. Thanks, Garrett. Good morning. Am I on? I am on now. So, um, yeah, so like Garrett was saying, um, one of the core principles of the Global Orphan Project is that we are local church-led. So what that means is we partner with uh, churches around the globe who are already fulfilling their biblical mandate to care for the vulnerable and the marginalized in their 
communities. And so in the Middle East, our, uh, one of our church partners um, is located in Tyre, uh, Tyre Church. And like Garrett said, um, they're a small church, probably less than, than about 30 members um, in the church. But their impact um, in their community and across Lebanon um, is massive. Um, so last year, Lebanon um, uh, experienced economic instability. Their government collapsed. Um, they had the third largest explosion in history of the world um, decimate their uh, major port in the capital city of Beirut, all of this within a global pandemic, and a country, in a country that um, already has over 2 million Syrian refugees. And yet every day, this tiny little church in Tyre shows up in some capacity or another um, to, uh, to serve the widows and the single moms and the vulnerable families in their community through food portions and medical assistance and tuition fees and vocational training um, and, and, and sometimes just a, a safe place uh, for people to come and be seen and be loved, which is really countercultural um, in that country, in the Middle East, particularly for women. Um, and so um, I, I wanted to share just a, a quick little story um, about um, uh, about two years ago, Pastor Muhammad, um, the pastor of Tyre Church, um, God laid on his heart to uh, buy a small piece of land and begin to farm it. And um, so he planted some vegetables, and he bought a couple cows and a couple goats and some sheep. Some sheep and Everybody thought this was kind of a it, weird move. Everybody was like, really, Pastor Muhammad? So Muhammad's a bit of a renegade, so he, he does these things often. Um, but we were like, really? And so even us at, at, at Go Project were like, Pastor Muhammad, entire church is already stretched so thin. You guys do so much across the country of Lebanon, and now a farm? And he's like, yep, now a farm. Uh, and so that farm grew um, over the last two years. And given the events of, of this past year, um, this farm alone has sustained hundreds of families within a predominantly Muslim community, um, so much that the, the, the community has named the road that leads to the farm Church Road. And so every day, Muslim families travel Church Road to go get their food supplies, and they're met with the love of Jesus. And these, this community knows that this farm only exists because of the love of Jesus. Um, and it's, it's humbling, and it's, it's inspiring. Um, and people often say, how does Tire Church do it? Like, they're, like, how do they do all of the ministries that they do? Um, and it's really a testament to the anointing of God, um, and the faithfulness of his people. And, you know, I just think of the, the, the five loaves and the two fish and what God can do um, when we say yes. And the entire church continues to say yes. Now, there is some risk of persecution for them. It's not red hot, but it's present. Sure, yeah. So um, it's estimated that, that uh, Lebanon is about 40% Christian. Um, but it's also the home base to Hezbollah, which is an um, um, Islamic uh, political and um, militia uh, group in Lebanon. And so there's a lot of tension, a lot of um, um, antagonism uh, from the Hezbollah leaders against Christianity. Um, and earlier this year, um, Pastor Mohammed had the opportunity to purchase a building deep, deep in Hezbollah country. Um, and the dream of this building is to have a, a small clinic um, and a mini hospital and a birthing center, which is going to serve a huge, like a 20-mile radius of, um, of people living in this community that currently do not have any access 
to medical care. Um, and so while I was in Lebanon back in November, Mohammed got a phone call, uh, and it was from the owner of the, the, the land. Um, and he was told that the Hezbollah leaders in this, this community were putting a lot of pressure on him not to sell to Mohammed. Um, and they had a very, very terse Arabic conversation. Um, and he got off the phone and I said, Muhammad, what are you going to do? And he just simply said, if God is for me, who can be against me? And that is the faith of, of this tiny little church, um, and this, um, and, and what they're doing. And so I'm sure that there will be more pressure from the Hezbollah community, particularly as this, this clinic, um, gets rolling. Um, and yet I know the faith of Tyre Church and Muhammad and they'll, they'll press forward. Yeah, so it's 30 people in the church. They employ 300 people who feed, like, how many Thousands. people a week? Thousands. Thousands yeah. a week. Yeah, so um, it's amazing. Guys, if, if 30 Christians can be in Hezbollah territory and build a clinic and take care of orphans and feed refugees, can, can we help them? Can we support them? Yeah. Amen. Amen. So our One Life Financial Challenge uh, this week is going to uh, give a disbursement of $4,000 as the first part of our gift to the Global Orphan Project. So um, if you have made a pledge to One Life, keep that pledge. It is doing revelation-level work. Um, if you haven't yet made a pledge to One Life, think about that. Or you can also just do a one-time gift without a pledge. Um, it does answer the call of Scripture uh, when you do that. So, Jamie, well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, for, guys. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we, will, we will pray for Jamie and for the church entire uh, before this service is over. Okay. Let's see. No questions from you yet, but it is open. Let's go back to Revelation 2 and 3. These churches get a rebuke in Revelation. They all get called out for something. Well, at least uh, five out of seven. They're called out for not loving like they used to. Two of them are called out for tolerating the practice of eating meat sacrificed to an idol and for tolerating sexual sin in their church. Uh, one is called out for falling asleep, you know, like you used to be really active in your faith and now you're snoozing through it. Um, one of them is called out for being lukewarm, you know, neither hot toward Jesus nor cold, just, and, and for being so rich that they claim we don't need anything, we're fine. Do we find Lakeland in these rebukes? Not loving like you used to and falling asleep. Uh, we probably need to look in on this one, but I don't think now's the time. The pandemic is very hard. It has really limited the interactions and the types of ministries that we do. And uh, I know those of you who are live stream only, um, you know, make that choice for your safety and your vulnerability. But, you know, I miss everybody. And some days I just sit in my office and, uh, you know, Frankly, cry. Not hard for you to believe. Um, but uh, it is important for us to examine ourselves versus the scripture, but I just don't think it would be fair to go there right now. To tolerate pagan practices and sexual sin in the church. So the truth is, every church throughout history, everywhere in the world, today and our church, always has pockets of folks with this going on. Pagan practices and sexual sin. It, it's what makes church very exciting for the leaders, right? Um, as we try to change hearts and minds and help everybody figure this stuff out. So, But do we have our whole church overtaken with it, tolerating uh, pagan practices of sexual sin? I don't think so. I don't think so. But 
if, if you uh, would like to point out a blind spot for me on that, I'm open to it. There may be something I'm just not seeing because maybe I'm part of it, but I, I, I don't think so. Being lukewarm, being rich and claiming we don't need anything. Here, we might slow up a little bit. The elders in our meetings for the last several years have been discerning a call from God for our church to get serious about uh, fostering faith and Christianity for the next generation. So think about Lakeland, right? We were once in town, the young, scrappy Christians who were ignored and, and maybe sometimes made fun of by the older, established, crusty churches full of gray hairs who don't get it. So we're going to start this church and we're going to reach our generation for Christ because nobody else is putting the effort and the energy and the thought and the love into it. So that's what we did. Well, now, 25 years later, we're on the threshold of becoming the thing that we once resisted because now we have the big building, right? And we have the great ministries and we have the strong giving. Thank you and God bless you. 2020 ended very well. But we could ride this comfortable first class seat right into the ground if we're not careful. Right about now. God is alerting us that now is the time for you to begin, you and I, to begin to to share leadership, to bring up leaders from another generation. Now is the time for us to plant new ministries, support new ministries, new churches even. Right now is a time for me and for you to pass on your faith to someone, your wisdom to someone, your um, lessons of ministry leadership to someone, to that next young, scrappy Christian. Now, what happens to you and me when we do this transfer? What happens to you and me when we give up this power and, 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 and invite in? We get to become, you and I, one of those... Uh, part of one of those rare but blessed multi-generational churches. They exist and have existed throughout history. There's just not very many. The normal story is, right, the church that I came out of before Lakeland, where everybody's a young person there is 70. So we're right on the threshold, right at the fork in the road. The decisions we make now actually decide that. While we're still full of children, right? While we still have families, while we're still there. This is the time you take the fork in the road. The reason why so many churches don't, because it's an uncomfortable fork. You invite younger folks into leadership, they don't do things the way you do it. They don't talk the way you talk. Uh, they don't listen to the same music. They don't want the same worship song that you want. They, uh, you know, they have humor that's different. They don't have nearly the command of Star Wars necessary to <laughs> preach the word. <laughs> but that is life. That is life. To invite those things in is life. To keep putting on the same comfy slippers and warm sweater, that is eventual death. So there's our call. There's our call. Oh, we do have questions this service. What does it mean to tolerate sexual sin? What is sexual sin? So the Bible has a very clear sexual ethic, right? Sexuality is between a man and a woman and one of each. And it was within the bonds of marriage, within that faithful commitment. 
Everything else outside of that, whether we understand exactly how or not, sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't, leads to some kind of trouble internally or for society. And, and that's a hard one to argue out. But that is the wisdom of God on sexuality. And so anything outside of that, the scripture says is not good for us. I hope that's the answer to that question. Revelation 12 looks like it's referring to the birth of Christ. But then in verse 16 jumps to the tribulation period. Is that right? Yes, actually you're right. Or you're right on both. Revelation 12, not really where we are today, but you know, let's do it. Revelation 12 it does describe the birth of Christ. But see, it's also got these other layers where it could also be the birth of the church. Um, and then it talks about the tribulation because, as, as, as we've said here, when Christ ascends and enters into heaven, then begins the end times. As now his, his uh, salvation plan is fully laid out and offered to humanity. And so now uh, the church's mission to share the good news of Christ with the world begins. But all these sufferings that we've been studying today, Chinese church, Tyre, things that you're suffering, those are all in the tribulation. And so that's all in the Revelation 12 story too. The Revelation 12 story, I sometimes call the graphic novel of, of the Bible. Because it's the same story you've heard about Jesus coming and his return and the mission of the church. But it's just told with monsters and dragons. So it's like the comic book version of the whole rest of the Bible. But it doesn't say anything in Revelation 12 that the Bible didn't already say. It just, it's like the music video version of the Bible. So um, there you go. I love Revelation 12. We have preached it here a couple times from this stage. And the questions are gone. All right. So now in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, uh, the, qu- the churches are called. They all get a calling. Uh, a call to go back to your earlier love. To change now before suffering comes upon you. To wake up and go back to your earlier faith. To hang on to Jesus and keep your crown. Uh, to get your wealth and your purity and your health from God, not from your own effort. Can we find Lakeland in here? Absolutely. In any church, in any person where you feel like the love and the fire you once had for Christ Jesus may be dwindling. The embers may be burning low. It may be getting a little old, tired, troublesome. Revelation calls you back. Sometimes you can get back literally by going back. So I had a buddy call me a couple of years ago. We both had been talking about a sin we were struggling with, frustrated that we could not, you know, uh, kick it. And he said, well, I found this video series and it's about this. So let's watch it together. So we start watching it together. Well, the first thing it says is if you're going to do this program, you've got to, uh, you've got to do a Bible study, uh, read a Bible passage and journal every day. You've got to memorize a different scripture every week. You have to call everybody in the group, and there's just two of us, so you have to call each other twice a week for encouragement and prayer. Now, I did all that stuff when I was 20, like I'm a new Christian. Oh, yes, let's memorize scripture, let's read, let's journal, let's call each other, pray for each other, but I'm 40 now, and I don't want (laughs) to. But the program says you have to do this or you're not really doing it. Uh, Okay, fine. So I get out my Bible each day, and I journal. And I memorize a scripture every week. And so many of those popped up in preaching and, and you don't even know it. And I'm calling my friend for encouragement and prayer twice a week. He calls me, I call him. I can't tell you the difference that it's made. The reality of God in my life. 
Um, and, and how it changed other things, not just sin, but relationship with my family, relationship with God. It's like a fire burned up again. Sometimes you can go back just by going back. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes it doesn't work quite that easy. Um, sometimes you actually go back by going forward into a new deepness with God. So I, I am saddened right now that those of you who have signed up for the Generation Prayer Retreat haven't been able to start yet because the pandemic has closed the facility, but that's not going to last forever. And when that facility reopens, those of you who signed up for the Generation 8 Prayer Retreat with Pastor Dan, I want you to go. And if you're not signed up yet, they still have room. If you need to go forward, my testimony, what Pastor Dan teaches about prayer and, and the, all the space he gives you to practice that will lead you to a new deepness with God. Sometimes you can't get the old fires going the old ways, but sometimes there's a new and a deeper way. And sometimes the fire burns brighter than it did before. Take that journey. Take that journey. One of the churches admonished to change now, change your ways now before suffering comes upon you. So now for the pockets in all of our lives and in all of our churches where there's something that we're kind of winking and giggling at, some sin, right? We're still getting drunk. We still swear and tell racist jokes. We're, you know, involved in uh, pornography or, or something, you know, something, some shady business deal that you're like, oh, if anybody found out, we could get arrested for this. Ha ha, not funny. But we've all got this thing, Right? And it's not funny. It's not funny. It's actually very junior high and very adolescent to think that having some little sin tucked away in your life makes you more grown up. That's exactly how children think. And it's not funny. Our world is on fire right now because of this sort of stuff. We need every Christian now to become very passionate and very forward with virtue. We need every man, woman, and child in the church to say there is a high honor placed on honor and on integrity and on telling the truth even when it costs us. On being a a, a redemptive force, I bring together the warring parties in my family and I say, let's make peace. I bring together the warring families, uh, parties in my church and I say, let's make peace. We need people to be about that stuff in a big way. Purity. And self-sacrifice. We need every man a knight right now. We need every woman a competent queen. We need every young man a prince. We need every young woman a warrior of virtue. Stuff's very serious. And now's the time. And we will take that journey together. Why does a church, more specifically the American church, do more to shove away and persecute people who commit sexual sin, and and they're particularly referencing same-sex relationships, uh, than, and then it says they reach their character limit. There's 130 character limit. But we know what they're talking about, right? All this other types of sin, tolerating violence, probably they would have said. Greed and selfishness, they probably would have said. Uh, Almost anything else. Why? Why? Um... I can't speak for the whole church. I can't speak for the whole church. My, my observation and my guess, it's easy to pick on people who have uh, sexual sins that you don't have because then you don't have to pick on yourself. It's also numerically 
not a huge number of people in the world, so it's always easier to pick on minorities than it is to pick on the majority. Um, it's always, so I think sometimes it's just ease. It's just ease. It's ugly. It's an ugly thing. We've actually created a lot of the division that we have here in the church by uh, treating uh, people with same-sex attractions so horribly. Treating them so horribly is what created the sympathy, which then flipped over culture into what we have now regarding sexuality. Uh, we have to learn that Christ only ministered out of love. Christ only ministered to people that he sat with. He never said, no, as soon as you start this church, what I want you to go out and do is make a bunch of laws that will make the Ten Commandments take over the world. He never said that. He said it well next to a woman and talked with her in such a way that she saw her own sin and was actually grateful for his love and wanted to change her life. So whatever it is we see in the world, we have to one-on-one, face-to-face, tell me your story. What has happened? How do you feel? What do you know of God? This is the only way we were supposed to do this. We, we made our own bed on this one. And it's, uh, it's horribly ugly. Horribly ugly. Remember that in Romans 1, the main chapter, we get our uh, understanding that uh, same-sex relationships are not in God's design. Remember how that chapter ends? Paul says, so you see these things, you call them sinful. But you yourself do the very same types of things. He was actually, it was actually a call for grace. It wasn't saying it's not a sin, but he was saying it's no worse than what you do. Let's all realize we have received the grace of God and show the same love that, that we'd want. I'm going to need the grace of God for the sin I struggle with that I'm watching videos about. We've got to be good and better to each other. That was long, but it's a big deal in our time. Do you have an example of how we do this healing? I do in just a moment. If we do not repent of our sins, will we be blotted out of the book of life, the Lamb's book of life? Uh, The short answer is yes, but I want to be careful with that. Because there's something about the struggle. There's something about the repentance that makes it different. To have tried to resist sin in your life and to have failed, that's what the grace of Jesus is for. That's what the cross is for. Being blotted out of the Lamb's book of life is more about not trying, boldly stating, nor do I need to. What I do is not a sin. It's just business. It's just life. You know, what, what lesson did we just learn from Cobra Kai? Yes, we're going to have a Cobra Kai reference. <laughs> John Kreese tells the students, those people will tell you they're the good guys and you're the bad guys. But the truth is, there are no good guys and bad guys. There's only the weak and the strong. That's a real philosophy that people actually live by in our world. Can't have that in the Lamb's Book of Life. How do you think about strength and power and goodness? We, need to, we all need the grace of Christ. Okay. All these church, thank you for these questions. These are very, very good. Very, very good. Um, the, all these churches are praised, or at least four out of seven of them. 
in Revelation 2 and 3. One's praised for resisting the Nicolaitan heresy. I don't even know what that is. Uh, other scholars didn't know either. A few made a guess. One of them's praised for not following the false prophetess of Theatira. We know like a hint of maybe what she was teaching from another passage of the Bible, but that's it. So we don't really know what that was either. Uh, some are praised for not soil, being soiled with evil, and one is told that they'll be protected from the great testing because of what they've done. I'm encouraged by this passage. I'm encouraged precisely because we don't know what this stuff is, right? The Nicolaitan heresy and whatever the false prophetess of Theatira was teaching was so dangerous that it made this letter. But now we don't know what it is. So it didn't win. It went away. The church resisted it. And now we can only make vague guesses about even what it was. I'm encouraged that whatever that evil was has just become not even a memory. I'm encouraged that uh, people don't worship the emperor anymore. That was standard practice for a long time in human history, thousands of years. The king is a descendant of God. Now, only in North Korea is it offered as an option that if you would like to worship something, you can worship the great leader. Everywhere else on earth, the practice is gone. I'm encouraged by that. I'm encouraged that the church has survived every age. Look at all the persecutions the church has survived and is surviving. And here we are. Here we still are. I'm encouraged at all the times that the church has been corrupted, right? Many periods in history, many places in the world, as the church itself turned evil and become an agent of evil. But that's never the version of the church that has survived. It has always destroyed itself and out of history comes a thread of true faith again. We're living in a time right now when it's very uh, embarrassing to be a part of the church and some of the things that are done and said in our world in Jesus' name. But I want to assure you that version of Christianity will not survive. It will not last. We will pass on to our children and our grandchildren a pure faith built in the grace of Christ Jesus. And the truth of these scriptures. Someday, we won't even remember what Hezbollah was. And why it was that it troubled the church of Tyre. But I believe the church of Tyre will still be there. Someday, the People's Republic of China will be something that we remember in history books. But there'll be by then a new nation for the Chinese people one that's their nation and they own it and they're free within it and they're free to worship. I believe these things will happen. They are the way of God. Revelation 2 and 3 gives the churches a promise and on this one, everybody gets a promise. All seven get a promise. Eternal life, freedom from death, spiritual nourishment and a new name. Authority over the nations, our name in God's book, pillars in his temple, citizens in his city, to sit with Christ on his throne. These are promises that no one can ever take away. Here's what I know for sure from Revelation this morning. When churches are persecuted, we help them. We help them. We come alongside them. When our own love for Christ and our fire for his mission uh, wanes and needs rekindling, we can go back to the things of God. 
We can go forward into new things of God, but God is waiting on both ends. God is waiting on both ends for us to come home. When the bad guys seem to be winning, whether they're inside the church or outside the church, they won't win. They cannot win. Winning and the winning strategy is not built into what evil is. Evil is built to destroy itself and lose every time. It will do so again. Even for those of us that it may kill or destroy on its way down, you can't take those seven promises away. You can't take away the promises of God even by slaying someone. So do not despair. Do not despair. God's word is true. His pattern in history has shown itself again and again. So we can only end this service today in worship. We can only end this service today in prayer, uh, in praise, to lift up those who are persecuted, to call ourselves back to the fire of God's mission, to strength and seriousness and excitement, to promote virtue, peace, love, understanding, redemption, healing, true faith. Amen.